Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Ochland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today, my guest is Ronan Levy. He is a co-founder of Field Trip Health, which specializes in the psychedelic treatment of mental health issues. So today, Ronan is going to talk about how psychedelics can help someone not just get over trauma or depression or anxiety or anything like that, but also create a meaningful life by helping us reframe our perspective and helping us shift how we look at the world and in essence, changing our behavior. So we talk about that on an individual level and we also talk about the potential of it helping us change even our social level or world level as we can help ourselves become more empathetic, more understanding, and more tolerant. I think it's a great episode. Really enjoyed talking with Ronan and just digging into the aspects of psychedelics. Not so much the scientific conversation, but how we experience them and how that experience changes us. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. And I really appreciate everyone who's written a review. I was going through some of them and that's just super meaningful to see that the Addicted Mind is having this positive impact. So I really appreciate it, and it really does help the Addicted Mind podcast get found. So if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind, um, please leave a review. I really appreciate it. And continue the conversation online. Join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast. Click join. All right, everyone. Enjoy this episode. Let's go ahead and start it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Ronan Levy, and he is the founder of Field Trip Health. And today we're going to talk about all things psychedelic and psychedelic medicine and what that means for people struggling with mental health issues and, and addiction. Ronan, please introduce yourself. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, you got my, my name and my title right, although like, accurately, I'm one of the co-founders. There are five of us who started Good Field right. Trip. Um, you know, and, and we started field trip, uh, I guess we all had our own individual reasons, but we started with a mission to 
heal the sick and better the well through psychedelics and psychedelic-assisted therapies. That's kind of where we got our foundation. And, and despite different words that we use today, that's still really our, our ethos and, and why we're doing what we're doing. Great. So let's talk about a little bit about how this came to be for you. And I know like psychedelics seems to be everywhere now. Everybody's talking about it. We're seeing it all over the place. And so there's a lot of information out there, maybe some accurate, not so accurate. But let's first just jump in. Why psychedelics? Why is this important to you? Sure. So initially, psychedelics weren't important to me. The path that took me here was I'm a trained lawyer uh, by profession, but hopped over into the entrepreneurial world sometime about just over 10 years ago and got an opportunity to start a business in the medical cannabis industry in Canada. And actually growing up, I was pretty anti-drug. You know, I didn't care if my friends smoked weed or or did psychedelics or anything along those lines, but it wasn't for me. So getting into the cannabis industry was just a really cool opportunity where, you know, at least as an entrepreneur, you've solved one of the biggest problems, which is product market fit, which is, you know, who your audience is when you're in the medical cannabis industry. What that experience showed me is that cannabis is real medicine. Plant-based medicine is real medicine. I had been very, very skeptical of that to that point, but I saw the impact that we had on the patients we worked with at Canadian Cannabis Clinics, which was our business, and it was truly life-changing for so many of them. And, And it really opened my mind from being a skeptic to be, I think, more kind of open-minded about these kind of things. You look like you're going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to ask you a question. So it sounds like you started in this as a business and said, oh, there's a great business opportunity here. But then really starting to see the impact on people, it changed your whole view. Changed my whole worldview about plant-based medicine and alternative therapies and, and things along those lines. What happened was we sold that business in 2016 and then left the company that acquired us in 2018. So we spent a couple of years working with them. And one of the first conversations that we had after leaving that just happened to be a woman named Judy Bloomstock, who was looking to raise capital for a drug development company focused on psilocybin. And she brought our attention to the fact of just how potent psychedelic therapies can be, you know, ending the meeting with two things that really stuck with me. One is she described a single psilocybin assisted therapy session, like 10 years of therapy in an afternoon. And even though I knew that probably to be a gross exaggeration, right? maybe it's not, but at the time I'm like, it doesn't really matter if that's a gross exaggeration or not. If it's better than the alternative, you know, it's something that we need probably more than ever. And having been on my own personal growth journey through meditation and metaphysics and, and, and spirituality and all those explorations and knowing what those experiences had on me to that point, I was like, if... If psychedelics can be the platform that opens those conversations up to a whole new audience and reaches more people, there's nothing more important that I could be doing. And I just kind of had this idea that this would be the platform to reach you know, a whole audience and, and really shift the conversation around mental health from something that we do reactively to something we do proactively. You know, we we all know that going to the gym and eating healthy makes us stronger, helps us live longer, makes us feel better, makes us feel happier. We don't all do it, but we accept it to be true. That being proactive about your physical health has an impact. Most people still live in a world where we're reactive about our mental health. We seek help, right. whether a therapist or a psychiatrist, once we're depressed, once we're anxious, once we've had trauma. 
if we could flip that, if we could get people thinking about their mental health, like their physical health and being proactive and developing emotional awareness and emotional resilience and emotional maturity in advance, such that when life gets hard, because it always gets hard at various points, we would be doing such a justice to the world. We're doing such a justice to our healthcare systems. And so that's when we started exploring psychedelic therapies and, and the potential to build a business around that. Right. So looking at these therapies, not just as something responsive to somebody who already has trauma, although it sounds like a lot of these can really help with that, looking at this from a view of being able to create mental health resiliency before these, maybe some of these traumatic events even happen or to increase that or to look at it going forward instead of just responding to that, to that hardship. That's exactly right. I mean, the words I use maybe sound a little bit woo-woo, but it's not just about treating depression and anxiety and PTSD and eating disorders and all other mental health conditions that plague us in many ways. For me, it's about the conscious evolution of consciousness, which is how do we elevate humanity in a way that we can deal with the challenges that we face as a species, as a planet, whether it's environmental degradation, whether it's the fact that politically we can't seem to have a conversation anymore. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on that we've got to figure out and trying to use old techniques to to address new problems is not going to work. I mean, I forget, I think Einstein said something about, you know, the level of consciousness is that created the problem can't be the level of consciousness that solves the problem. And so that's what really excited me about what we're seeing happening with psychedelics. Which I think is so important. And I want to get back to that because that's a really big question. But first, for people out there, you know, psychedelics, let's just go down a little bit and psychedelics, what does that actually mean? Let's define it. And so people out there who are listening and, and don't know what that, that term is or what it actually means, what is it? Sure. And, and there's no actually clearly precise answer at that. So there's a couple of ways to slice at it. The easiest way for most people to understand is that we're talking about a class of drugs or a class of medicines, depending on what word you want to use, that are psychoactive and psychotropic. So they affect your brain chemistry, but they also affect your perception of reality, at least temporarily. And so classically speaking, we're talking about LSD, we're talking about psilocybin or magic mushrooms. We're talking about MDMA, uh, which most people would know as ecstasy. We're talking about ketamine, which is actually an FDA-approved anesthetic, but also can create very psychedelic experiences and a host of other molecules of this nature. All the things that you and I were probably taught in high school are terribly dangerous and will fry our brains. Turns out that was pretty much an intentional and overt lie for political right. perspectives. What we know scientifically now is that, you know, with LSD and psilocybin and other tryptamines of that nature, they're non-addictive. In fact, they're anti-addictive, which is the subject matter of this conversation. And they've been used right. very effectively in treating certain addictions. There's no overdose amount. So it's virtually impossible to overdose on, on psychedelics. And when done in a proper therapeutic environment, you know, with, with medical professionals or psychotherapeutic professionals, the risk of the so-called bad trip or going crazy is, is virtually negligible. That just doesn't happen. Those experiences can happen. There's no doubt about that. I don't wish to, you know, paint these as right, like a perfectly right. safe, but when done in the right context, those experiences don't really happen. And, and so you're talking about molecules that are incredibly safe, 
and importantly, incredibly potent. You know, there are studies out of NYU that suggested that a single psilocybin-assisted therapy experience, which is basically taking about 25 milligrams of the active ingredient psilocybin with a therapist or two therapists present for about four or five hours, can lead to antidepressant effects that last for five years or longer. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, in, in certain trials looking at smoking cessation with psilocybin, we found that something like 70 to 80% of the participants substantially reduced their consumption of smoke cigarettes for six months or a year. I don't remember the exact uh, time period after, again, a single psilocybin-assisted therapy session. There's no more effective addiction option for tobacco. We've seen that with ketamine and alcohol. We've seen that with LSD and alcohol. We've seen this consistently across the board. And the other thing, going back to that conscious evolution of consciousness comment that we've seen too, interestingly, is that in that in, in the, the specific tobacco cessation study I was referencing, 75 to 80% of participants significantly reduced their tobacco consumption. But something like 80 to 85% of them identified that psilocybin-assisted therapy experience as the single most important or one of the single most important events in their lives, up there with the birth of a child or a marriage or something along those lines. So these are not just wow. medicines. They actually change people you know, and, and help them see the world from a different lens. So let's let's talk about that because you said there's two things going on, you know, that there's a shift in mood, the mood part in the brain, and there's also a shift in perception of reality in those moments. So what's happening there for someone who takes one of these psychedelics? What's going on? Yeah, so on a neurochemical level, and, and I'm not a doctor or a scientist, so I'm going to speak uh, as intelligently as sure, I can that's okay. based on my yeah. understanding. We see three things happening. One is, in most cases, there's a massive serotonin release in the body. So, And, and serotonin is one of the feel-good hormones in our body. And so people feel better almost immediately. That's why psychedelics, particularly ketamine, is, is such a powerful medicine for acute suicidal ideation. It breaks the, the cycle of thought very quickly, and people feel better almost immediately. One of the psychotropic effects is that people often find they are able to revisit past experiences or past traumas or past events from a different perspective, see it from a different lens. It's kind of like what we try to get through through conventional therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy. Right. But it happens instead of over weeks or months or years, often in a single session. They can look at that you know, time when their mother yelled at them or their father hit them or, or whatever the case may be and just not accept that as part of their identity anymore. So you, try, you get kind of the psychotherapeutic benefit of a psilocybin experience or any psychedelic experience, during, usually during one of the first experiences overall. It doesn't take weeks or months or years. And then thirdly, and this is still being studied and understood, we see in the brain a couple of things happening. One is we actually see that the brain starts to grow new neural synapses. So if you're experiencing depression or other mental health conditions, the neural synapses, the, the cells that connect your neurons to each other and help them communicate, start to wither and fade. But following psychedelic experience, we see them starting to grow back, actually. Uh, and this right, has been documented. Right. So your brain is actually healing itself, in a manner of speaking. And there's a period of neuroplasticity that happens as well, which means 
if you think about small children, small children are known to be really adept at picking up languages or picking up new skills because they're right. neuroplastic. As we age, we get more rigid mental models, but children don't have that. So a new language comes like that, whereas I still can't speak French after 42 years of trying or whatever the case right, may be. Right. And so during that window for about two weeks after uh, a psychedelic experience, we see that people are more neuroplastic. And so if you wanted to as a simple example, start going to the gym more, adopt new habits, adopt new outlooks or perspective. During that window, people are much more able to do so. And then thirdly, we actually see in some instances that psychedelics change the receptor binding in the brain. So in the cases of opioid addiction, for example, the repeated exposures to opioids actually change the receptor binding in the brain. And the psychedelics can actually start to unwind some of that changing of the receptors so they actually work like they did before the addiction. So all of these things are happening uh, during a psychedelic experience and, and or following a psychedelic experience. And that's why we seem to have all of these amazing outcomes. You have these layers of effect going on that are not only changing the emotional resonance of what's going on, they're actually changing the physical operation of your brain in, in a healthy and productive way. So a lot of times when I work with people in the addiction area, a lot of people use language of feeling stuck, locked, that change of thinking, even though on one level they know the, the thinking is not working, right? It's, it's not serving them and it, and it creates a feedback loop that they know is not good for them, but they have a really, really hard time changing it. And it sounds like when you introduce the psychedelics into the system, it allows that person all of a sudden to shift that view, which then shifts behavior, I would imagine, right? Because if you're not looking at that situation the same way, your behavior is going to change, which isn't going to create more pot. Like you said, you, you end up going to the gym and that becomes a habit because it's, that's something you, you do. But before you, you get stuck, you couldn't do it. Yeah, you can't break out of it. That, that That's absolutely right. I mean, listen, we all, to some degree, suffer with that, right? All of us experience yeah, that. You know, absolutely. Like, we, we don't talk about it in this day and age, but the biggest addiction worldwide is an addiction to adrenaline, right? We're all constantly trying to feel that like lift that up that comes with an adrenaline rush, whether it's you know going on roller coasters or skydiving or trying new things. It's like, it's constantly trying to feed that addiction on some level. So we all understand it. Not that adrenaline addiction is necessarily destructive. It certainly can be, but it doesn't have to be. But we all know what it's like to get stuck. And yeah, that's exactly what happens is during a psychedelic experience or afterwards, you know, you can go in and be like, in a marriage, for example, it's like, oh, my wife doesn't love me. And then you can see like, oh my God, she does. I was just seeing the world from a perspective that I couldn't see that or I couldn't receive that, but now I can't. Michael Pollan uses the great analogy of if you imagine, you know, cross country ski tracks, you know, the two kind of slopes in, in the snow. And the more you go over them, the more entrenched those two tracks become. Psychedelics are kind of like dumping a whole bunch of fresh snow on it, which is you get to create new tracks now. It's a lot easier to take a different path, whereas if you take the same path over and over, you get stuck in it, especially, and that's problematic, especially if it doesn't serve you, as you said. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier that, you know, this is about not just responding to trauma, but I imagine, you know, all of us in our lives have certain habitual patterns that maybe they're not super destructive. Maybe they're not super bad, you know, if you want to label it that way or whatever, but we would like to be able to change and be better people, be better humans, whatever that looks like. But we're still stuck in this rigid 
locked neuro, neuro network that we can't get out of. I don't know what the words are for it, but you know, it's like you get locked there and you're like, I know I'd like to change this, but I, I can't, I can't seem to do it. Totally. You know, and, and even speaking personally, it's like I, and I'm not alone in this by any stretch, but like I respond very negatively to feeling criticized, you know, even if it's constructive criticism, like it's not just for me personally that I can hear you did this thing poorly. What I hear in my head subconsciously is you are bad, right? And, and that's right. one of my things. And so, you know, in my life, the reason I've probably been so driven to succeed as an entrepreneur is to get that voice out of my head that I'm not good enough, that I've never been successful, that I'm not worthy of love. And so I think if I succeed in business or whatever the case may be, maybe I will be worthwhile. It doesn't work, you know, and that's where right. addiction comes from, which is like, oh, maybe Absolutely. this, maybe if I do this again, it'll solve the problem. And it doesn't. But through psychedelics and, and some of my personal experiences with psychedelics, it's like I, I could start to see myself as, as being worthy of love, as being a successful human being, even if I don't have a, a successful business, which I would never tell myself consciously that's how I'm thinking. But once you see that pattern in yourself, once someone right. shines that spotlight on it, like, oh my God, yeah, of course. Of course, that's why like there's friction in my friendships or frictions in my relationship. It's because it's not necessarily them. It could be them, but it's how I react to it. And until I change yeah. how I react to circumstances, they're not going to change. And then some of this stuff is laid down really early in our childhood when our brain is very neuroplastic. We lay down these patterns of of relating to others, relating to the self, all of that early in our childhood. And then it gets kind of locked in and we're not even conscious of it anymore. We're not even sometimes conscious of that voice. It's automatic. We can't even hear it. A hundred percent. Even just recently for me, I became aware of the fact that like, I've never felt strong in my life. Feeling strong is a concept that's totally foreign to me. Even though if you ask me, like, yeah, am I strong? I'll be like, oh, yeah, I can do a whole bunch of push-ups and all that kind of stuff. Like the, the notion of feeling right. capable, actually feeling capable, it was totally foreign to me. And it's still foreign to me. But now I can see that I've never actually felt that. And at least the awareness of it enables me to start approaching that conversation a little bit differently. You know, Growing up, I was always a small kid. I'm not a big guy at the best of times. But I started school a year ahead of myself. And so... In my head, going back to that childhood patterning, it's like in my head, I still see myself as that small guy. Right. Only in the last few weeks have I become aware of that's how I see myself. And so it becomes a lot harder for me to be you know, very vocal on things or stand up for my opinions or defend my boundaries because if you're small, someone's going to overtake you. And, and, and these were psychedelic insights, to be quite frank. Yeah. After oh, yeah. 13 years of therapy and coaching, I'd never got to. And with a one or two sessions, so it's like, oh yeah, there yeah. it is. That, that's like, that's, oh, that's what's driving surprise. <laughs> Here you yeah. are. Nice to see you. Yeah. You know, when when you're talking about this, it makes me think about how this journey is. You know, we're talking about changing your thoughts, but it's also so emotional. Those things are intertwined. Our, our thoughts and emotions, and they fire together and they work together. And some of this sense of our being, ourself, is this emotional experience that we have. And if those emotions only come from that, I guess that perspective of like, I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or I'm bad. I mean, it's, it's hard to even relate to yourself. You, you know, if, if that's how you feel yourself, I mean, God, that's painful. A hundred percent. And, and, and that's exactly where addictions come from. Right. Which yeah. is like, Oh, this numbs that feeling. This numbs that terrible feeling inside I have for a little while that, that feels nice to not feel 
you know, like shit, to be quite honest, yeah, for a little while. Exactly. Oh, okay. I'm going to do that again and again. And, and, and that's how, you know, addictions fundamentally breed themselves, I think. Right. And then you can't change that dynamic and you're stuck in it. And there, there's no way, maybe, like you said, intensive years of therapy, but sometimes that doesn't work. It doesn't reach that deep core sense that we have of the self. Like it's hard to get there. Yeah. One of the teachers I work with, he's a, he's a spiritual teacher. He talks, you were talking about like the intertwining of thoughts and emotions. He's like, the emotions that we experience are much more real than our thoughts, right? Yeah. So like, think how like that, that's like, that's a nice picture is one thing. But when like you see a picture and it moves you, that feels much more real, right? That That yeah. is the human experience. That is what it's like to be alive, not to be like, oh, that's nice, right? And and so one of the things, again, just I'm just offering my personal experiences. One of the things that I did from a young age was choose to not feel my emotions. Like emotions yeah. were too big and too scary, especially through some of the childhood experiences that I had. So I just locked them off and it worked. You know, I, I did very well in school on some levels. I got a, I became a, a lawyer, like, you know, on so many objective levels, I look like a success. But if you ask me internally, am I a success? The answer is still certainly a no. Right. And still with that painful feeling of like not enoughness, if you know, whatever that means. Totally. But, right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, let's go. Okay. So we're kind of looking at the person, right. But you had mentioned earlier, like global consciousness. Let's talk bigger. And how do psychedelics help with that? As you're talking about like, you know, the war that we're seeing going on in Ukraine and not being able to talk and figure out all of these other issues in our society and all of that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. And, and certainly this gets a little bit more speculative and, and a little sure. bit out there. But, you know, in a more grounded level, what we see with with certainty some coming out of some of the studies with psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapies is that people report increased creativity, enhanced empathy, greater regard for the planet. So really characteristics and qualities that I don't think can ever be in too much supply. You know, I don't think we can ever have too much empathy in this world. I don't think we can have too much creativity in this world. And and so certainly on a direct line basis, if people are more empathetic, they're less likely to start wars. Seems pretty intuitive to me right. that that's going yeah. to be an outcome. But beyond that, it's it's kind of like if you feel confident in yourself, if you feel self-assured, if you feel loved, then those things that may trigger the fight response or the fight response in you, you have the choice of whether that makes sense, right? You don't have to, you know, be the big macho guy who starts a fight at a bar because someone's talking to your girlfriend. You can just go up and be like, hey, that's not acceptable. It's crossing a boundary. You know, that person may take a swing right. at you. <laughs> you, you yeah, can't do yeah. their work. But you can do your work and, and, and come at it from a much more mature level. And, and if, if everybody did that, if everybody felt loved and secure, like it really is an interesting experiment that, um, again, Erwin asked me to do one time, which is like, if you felt 100% confident in every decision you ever made or were going to make that it was the right decision, how different would your life be? And when you start to think about it, it's like, wow, that's, it's unimaginable, to be quite honest, about what that would feel like. But if you get more to that point, if you get to trust yourself more, if you understand the feeling of love and have self-respect and can look at other people and say like, wow, he's clearly suffering. So when he lashes out at me, it says less about me and more about him. Instead of lashing back, I can have empathy. I can hold space being like he's struggling, you know, and there's a, there's a great cartoon called The Oatmeal, which was talking about how 
you know, if you really appreciate what it is to be human and live this experience, instead of getting fed up and annoyed when you go to McDonald's and, and the kid across the counter from you is surly and angry and kind of gives you attitude to the point of like, I wonder what's going on in that, that guy or that girl's head today. I wonder like, yeah. you know, did they miss their bus? Are their parents yelling at them? Are they failing school because they have to work an extra job? If you stop and just like take that position, then you may be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not okay that they're being surly to me, but I would probably feel the same way. And so instead of getting surly back, I'll be like, you know what? I have empathy for this person. It's like you can start to see how that trickle-down effect would change the entire world if we could all kind of stay in that resonance of, of understanding. And it's hard as hell to get there if when every day you wake up thinking you're not good enough and everything you've worked for can be taken away on a on a turn of a hat, you know, it's, it's hard to get there. But all of a sudden, you start to feel good enough. You start to feel secure. You can get to that place where you can have that empathy for other people as well. And, and that's how we evolve consciousness. Yeah. And that ripples out. All of those changes and choices of how we respond ripples out to everybody else that's around us and in our culture. What about what I've read about psychedelics too is that they pull you out of the I, I guess the the me world thinking and being connected to a bigger, that part of us that connects us to the universe, I guess, the, the bigger part, the bigger space and how psychedelics help because that's a feeling experience. So can you talk about that and what goes on there? If, I, if I'm making sense, if I'm, if yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, that's it's it's one of the common responses to a very intense psychedelic experience is that people, both visually, uh, cognitively, and emotionally, during an experience, realize that we're all deeply connected. That like we're we're one being, all having different experiences, and and I, I, even to this day, like I I still have trouble cognitively accepting that it sounds like a beautiful concept but to embody that is is a little bit challenging for me but then you can actually start to zoom out scientifically uh, and say like well we are all literally stardust right i mean everything yeah, every every atom that exists right. on this planet came from a star deep so we're all built from the exact same material and we all have the same spark of electricity going on in us. And if you think about how physics actually work, even though you're around the world from, I don't know where you are situated right now, but we're touching the same atmosphere. You know, the air I'm touching right here and, and blowing against my computer is the same atmosphere that's touching you in, in your room right now. You start to realize like scientifically, we are all connected and we just, yeah. this notion of the I versus the we starts to break down even on a, a cognitive level embodying that is hard but there are certainly a lot of people who report that and then when you get to that place where it's like if you can get to the place where you see the all of humanity or all living creatures as being part of a single life force it's a lot more empathy you know it's like i can get angry at my left hand for doing something wrong but it really doesn't serve me to cut it off that just hurts myself so you know if you look at right. the next person next to you as the same thing it's a lot easier to be like i i have space for that person wherever he or she may be yeah it reminds me of i'm a big carl sagan fan so it reminds me of carl sagan and you know the pale blue dot and you know yeah. as, as he as we turned around voyager billions and billions of miles away from the earth. And we see this little tiny speck, this little ball, little blue dot in this, that this is, yeah, we're in this small little world and we are all really interconnected, but we sometimes get so lost up 
in our own internal pain that it's it's hard to see the bigger picture i think absolutely i i like to sometimes visualize humans like mushrooms and <laughs> it's not because we're talking about psychedelics but if you think like mushrooms like pop out of the ground and then they go back into the ground and it happens on a much more expedited basis you know god willing than most people but if you if you can see yourself being like that mushroom which is truthfully what happens it's like you can see that as part of the planet and not having a separate identity you right. can start to see each of us as being part of the planet and having a, a unique identity but being all of our all of our except maybe the people in the space station all of our feet are touching the same ground uh, and and we end up in the same place yep absolutely Ronan, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I think we could talk even more about this and, and go into even more detail about it. But thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Sure. So uh, if you're interested, we didn't really talk about Field Trip. But Field Trip is our company that is building clinics for psychedelic-assisted therapies. We've got 12 locations uh, across North America and Europe right now. If you want, want to learn more about Field Trip, our handles on social are at Field Trip Health on Instagram, on Twitter, and all that kind of stuff. For me personally, it's uh, Ronan D. Levy, D as in David. I'm at Ronan D. Levy are my social handles on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Probably the best place to find me. And I'll put all that in the show notes as well. And I'd love to ask one more one more question before everybody goes. It's like if someone out there, maybe they're struggling, maybe they're having a hard time, maybe they're disconnected or feel pain, what would be the one thing you'd want to tell them if you could say one thing to them? What would you want to say? Uh, I would say there's someone out there that loves you. And, and even if it's, that's me sending you support right now for wherever you are, there are people out there uh, that you're even seeing it now. Like I'm, I'm even welling up. It's like there are people that love you and, sure. and, and it's worth chugging through whatever you're going through because we got, as far as we know, there's one life to live. And, and so try and enjoy it for all it's worth. Uh, my favorite author, Tom Robbins, has this great line. It's not always easy to accept, but great to remember, which is, you know, give me life, all of life, the miserable as well as the superb, because the one thing that we know for sure is that we get to experience it. Uh, and, and so might as well take it for all it's worth. Oh, Ronan, thank you so much. I, lo I love that. That is, that is amazing. That is awesome. So once again, thank you so much for coming on. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I'm sure we took it way off topic and I appreciate you letting me kind of talk about this stuff, which I don't often get to talk about because often we get mired in the scientific and the data. But to me, it's the, it's the emotional and the spiritual. It's way more interesting about this. Yep. At the end of the day, that's where we live, right? So thanks. 100%. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So you can get all the links there. And if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcast. That really does help the podcast get found or even share it with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And join our Facebook group. You can just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.